On this episode of the Boag World Show, we look at the pivotal role that developers play in creating a great interface. This season of the podcast is sponsored by Balsamic and Full Story. Hello and welcome to the Boag World Show, the podcast about all aspects of digital design, development and strategy. My name is Paul Boag and joining me on this week's show is Aslan Cutlan and Marcus Lillington. Hooray! <laughs> hey Paul, I don't know hey why. Marcus. Uh, hello Aslan, good to have you on the show. I don't know why I got quite so overexcited and I, I couldn't even tell you whether, what I was excited about, but there you go. That seemed to be how we're kicking off the show this week. So, Aslan, it's been like 20 gazillion years, hasn't it, since we spoke? It, it has. It's been a long time. You were, you, we, we were just babes in arms, weren't we, when we, uh, when we last spent time together? The last significant time, what you were saying, was probably South By, was that right? Well, well yeah, I think I, I remember about 10 years ago sitting um, in Austin on a rooftop bar with the pair of you and uh, yeah. whiling away the hours. Yeah. That was the, the Iron Cactus. That was it. it. That's yeah. the one. That was a good conference because basically you'd go along to a bit in the morning and then mid-afternoon somebody somewhere would crack, wouldn't they, and just write the words margarita or Iron Cactus <laughs> or something like that. And then that was it. That was the rest of the day gone, sitting there and talking web stuff. Indeed. Early but we March, did. Yeah, in the sunshine. Which well, just been. <sighs> Yeah, it just man. happened. It's so big, mine now. I don't think I'd I want to go. I keep talking that I would like to go back once, but would I you? just I just say it. And I never do anything about it. Even slightly. Well, the thing is, is I think if I went back, it would really be more for the Iron Cactus than it would actually for the conference, which yeah, is probably fine. not a good sign. Oh no, is that right? No, that's all right. But that I mean, means I, I'd, pro- I'd want to go for a, a, you know just to check out a few of the the talks just to see what people are talking about these days but you can do that you know by half 10 on most yeah. days and you can go, go to the bar but then you <laughs> but you need the right people there you know aslan's got to be there all the all the brit people that all used to go out otherwise what's the point i think that would be it for me it'd be to to catch up with with everybody that i haven't seen in in a while we need to do a reunion that's what we need well uh, <laughs> Andy Budd has been saying this for about five years, and both and he said it on this podcast. And we go, yes, yes, good idea, Andy. And then nobody does anything about it. But well, um, yeah, of course, yeah. that's how these things work, isn't it? <laughs> All but talk, he has no been trying. Bless him. So, what are you up to these days, Aslan? Changing the subject entirely because you know, let's we can't live in the past. What are you up to now? So, I have uh, just recently started a new role. Um, Working Ooh. with um, oh, Ross Brunages at um, Kalo. So, oh, yeah. So that's where I am now. We're, um, so I've gone from agency back to uh, being in-house. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, exciting times for me. Good. So, basically, you've just started a new job, and then already at f- 4 o'clock on a Monday afternoon, you're slacking off to do a podcast. Yep. Yeah, no, that's good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad your employee encouraged such behaviour in you. Yeah, to start at five thirty in the morning. 
<laughs> yeah, he wasn't allowed to go home over the weekend. So, um, so what kind of work is it that you do? Give us an idea of the. So you're you're primarily development, but what kind of development do you do? Yeah. So uh, these days, I am uh, focusing on front end developments. Uh, okay. And uh, where I am now, specifically. Um, using uh, technologies like uh, React and uh, and then test-driven development. Uh, so, ah. yeah. So you're, you're one of the cool kids that's using React then, are you? Right, so, yeah. That's all right. That's forgivable. But if I understand it rightly, shouldn't you actually be the prince of some island somewhere and just sitting around in luxury? I, you, I remember you dropping that in a drunken conversation once, and I have no idea whether you were just bullshitting me or whether it was actually true. Well, so technically I, I do have the uh, title of Raden. Um, so that's a, Which means? A, it's a bloodline title that, that has been passed down the generations. Um, <laughs> so originally from... Uh, Malaysia, Indonesia. Okay. So, not that there is any throne for me to go and claim or anything. Oh, that's a bit but, disappointing then. But that that does uh, instantly I, make you much cooler. I don't know why it just does. Well, well so, uh, being being a allegorical um, lion isn't cool enough. No, that's true. That's pretty cool as well. Yeah. All in all, you've got it made. I've got to say, Marcus, do you have any kind of royal heritage that I don't know about? You know, well, are you a prince of somewhere? Funny you should mention that. Oh, um, for crying out! <laughs> <laughs> Am I the only commoner on the show? No, I, I have recently been made a lord. Of what? <laughs> I have got a full title. I'm trying to find it. It's some, It's Lord of the Manor of Hoogan or something like that. What the uh, hell are you talking about? <laughs> I I I I have um, a five foot square of a of um, a piece of land up up in, up in Cumbria. <laughs> my son and his girlfriend bought me this title uh, for my birthday. My last. So so yes. So I can refer to myself legally as Lord Lillington. Um, I'm not going to, um, but I could if I wanted. Um, so yeah, but that was paid for. <laughs> but but at least you have something. You have a five foot square chunk of land, which yeah, it not, sounds like. Yeah, I can't sell like, it though because it's national trust. Oh right, it sounds like more than Aslan has got in in his. At least you can go and stand on your five foot square <laughs> I, bit. I of can land. do that. Yes, and I can have. I, I you know I can use use the you know the the coat of arms and all that kind of stuff if I so wish. And I've been known amongst some of my friends, or m- me and Caroline have been known as Lord and Lady Lillington for about twenty years locally. So that's why ah, what, that's why he got it. Um, so I can now officially call myself that. There you go. Well, I I feel very common compared to you two. I I still still think that that is hilarious, Aslan. The combination of having the coolest name in the world and being, I don't know, royalty or whatever it is, is pretty pretty damn impressive. Has it helped much in life? Do you feel that it's, you know, it's enabled you to succeed, uh, you know, to a huge degree having this kind of pedigree behind you? Well, Nobody over here knows what it means, so it makes no difference, does it? <laughs> well, they do but, when you explain it drunkenly in a bar at South By. 
And you remembered it as well, I'm amazed. Oh, yeah. Why, of course you do. That's the kind of thing you remember. You're, you know, it's just, you know, stuck with me, that's all. Anyway. <laughs> no, so, nothing to do with what you might have had to say about, you know, the the latest web things of the day or anything like that no oh yeah but let's be honest that you know that was so long ago it was like oh yes you know web 2.0 isn't that exciting i mean who gives a shit about any of that stuff now good point i mean it wasn't react because obviously react will be around forever of course (laughs) so Let's quickly um, do our first sponsor, and then we'll get into to why we've got Aslan on the You're show. You're not going to talk about the snow again, Paul. Come on. Oh, do we have to? <laughs> it's sunny here. It's I sunny mean, here now, but uh, I, had, I had to I had to take five inches of snow off the car. Actually, I measured it because that's how um, <laughs> <childish> <laughs> I am. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, that's a lot of snow on the car." I, I had a phone call from my son this morning saying I've crashed into a fence, Dad, and I can't get my car off it. So I had to go and rescue my son. Who bought me the the title? Actually, bless him. So ah right. So so basically, he buys you a title and then treats you like a servant. Yes, that's, exactly. Yeah, that that sums up children in my experience. So that's good. So Aslan, have you not got snow where you are? Then have you not had any? Oh no, I'm I'm in in London at the minute, but um, I oh, only right. live a few miles up the road from Marcus anyway. So oh, back right. home, it's probably covered in snow. Ah. I didn't know that that you just lived near Marcus. See again, remembered. that's why that's why you've both got titles, wasn't it? Basically, <laughs> because you live in a posh area, not down in Dorset. <laughs> That'll be it, Paul. Yes. Do you do you live in a stately home as well, uh, Aslan? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Thought thought so. <laughs> See on you. Can is it Marcus? Is it all right now if I we kind of get on with the show? Because I know you like to waste at least twenty minutes, but I was just trying to be good for once. <laughs> all right then. Talk about what are you talking about? Balsamic. Well, first of all, I was going to talk tell them what what we've got, what we're doing on this show. Uh, oh, okay. Cause, what we're doing on this show. Well, so you might be wondering why we've got Aslan on the show, who is yeah. a self-confessed front-end developer when we're supposed to be talking about interface design. But I thought it was really important to actually emphasize the role that developers have in the design process and in creating user interfaces. So who better to have on than Aslan for that? So that's what we're going to be talking about in a few minutes. <laughs> But before we get to that, I do want to quickly uh, mention Balsamic because they're awesome and they've supported the whole season and everybody in the whole universe has used the product. So I don't know why they're bothering sponsoring the show (laughs) because I bet even Aslan as a developer at some stage, have you either heard of or used Balsamic? I have indeed used Balsamic. See, there you go. Even developers use Balsamic. So it's probably that that's now there is no link between what I just said then and the next comment. I just said even developers use balsamic. And I'm now about to say because it's really easy. I'm not implying that developers Cheers, couldn't Paul. use. Yeah, that's all right. I'm no I'm just not implying that that, you know, it's it's so simple. Even a developer could use it. But it is it's e- as easy, if not easier than pen and paper. Because a lot of people feel intimidated by pen and paper. And balsamic is all drag and drop. And you can't move things around with pen and paper very easily. You have to rub them out or cut Mm. things out and that kind of stuff. 
all can be done straight in Biosemic. And of course, on top of that, you've got all pre-built components, so you don't have to draw out a calendar and all the rest of it. It's all just there and you can use it. So it's great for meetings when you want to visualize ideas in real time with, with the client or stakeholders or developers or anybody else. Um, and it's also great for selling ideas with minimal effort. Um, because often if you just explain what you're going to do, people don't get it. They misunderstand it. They misinterpret what you were, um, you know, what you're going to deliver. And it causes problems later down the line. But on the other hand, you don't want to spend hours creating, you know, design comps that might not get sold off, sold off. So signed off. That was the word I was looking for. Um, so instead you could put something together really quickly in balsamic to make sure you're heading in the right direction. Um, and also, it's great that you can use it for engaging and collaborating on the design process with with um, everybody from project managers to developers to everybody um, across the whole team and stakeholders, obviously. And of course, the great thing with getting stakeholders involved in collaborating to create a design is that if they feel that they have been involved in creating it, then they're less likely to reject it. Um, which is obviously good news for everybody. And they're more likely to defend it with other people inside the company. So um, to give it a go, you can get a 30-day free trial um, where you can just have a play with it uh, by going to balsamic.cloud. After that 30 days, um, if you decide you want to sign up, when you do sign up, you can add um, use the code BALSAMICBOAG alongside your billing information when you create an account. Um, and that will give you three months for free, um, which is a bit of a bonus, really. So there you go. Give that a go. Right. Time to talk about um, developers and developers' role in um, in the design process. Now, um, Aslan, you've worked both in-house and external uh, and for agencies, did you say? Yep, that's right. So... Uh, yeah. So at the moment you're working in-house, had you worked in-house before joining the agent uh, from your previous job or had it always been external, uh, you know, um, agency before that? I've kind of flip-flopped between the two. Ah, okay, cool. Why is that? What, do, you, what, what, you, do you just like changing it up or is there any particular reason for that? Um, I think there's there's things that I like about both sides of it. So mm. with with the agency thing, it's um, lots of different projects, really varied uh, range mm. of clients, and ver- the variation in the projects makes mm. uh, a big thing for me. Uh, with in-house, you get to uh, revisit things that you've already worked on and had to put to a side because mm-hmm. it might not have fitted the time scale of uh, a delivery. Uh, previously so you get to go back and and polish up things that that you may not have done in an agent uh, mm. in an mm. agency role so so there's there's benefits to both sides and i i enjoy both sides of that so do you would you say there's a difference in the way that you work with designers in that kind of situation you know doing things like creating a user interface do you have a different working relationship or is it pretty much the same it's pretty much the same. I I like to work pretty closely with with the designers uh, anyway. It's having that kind of having a a language that is common between us and being being able to talk to design and work through the the process and understand what a design comp that's been put in front of me 
is is going to achieve and how I'm intended to implement it um, mm. all all comes together in pretty much the same way regardless of whether it's an agency or or an in-house role mm. so so how do you how do you like to work alongside a designer what's your kind of preferred approach generally i would work um talking through the design comps uh as as they're put across to me ideally i would like to uh, be talking earlier in the process so when a feature mm-hmm. is uh, is being requested then uh, discuss through what what things are um, are we going to be doing with that um, if there's any technical uh, tech reasons that we might have limitations on particular things that we can or uh, can or can't do mm-hmm. and uh, try and try and help understand what is available uh, to us to be able to deliver so that when it comes down the line to actually having to implement it then we've got a good understanding of what we're going to be putting together and it saves time in that development process does it help you to actually sit beside a designer you know to actually see them producing work as you go as they go along so you can kind of pull them up on stuff or is that a bit intrusive i think that might be a bit intrusive i would (laughs) generally be um sort of doing my own thing but then when when there's things that need to be discussed then sit down and and have a chat together Um, Mm. if you if you've got a small team working on a project or a feature then sitting together as a team uh, can aid that so that it's easy to just ask questions as as you need to rather than having to send messages over slack and wait mm. for replies well i always what we think found, uh, sorry paul um what we found is a really key part of the kind of conversation between um developer and designer is ensuring that the, the designer is kind of remembering all of the kind of the design elements that are that are out there that can be reused i mean you mentioned mentioned that um so rather than maybe going off in a kind of completely different direction you know have we got the the, the tools in place to kind of re-implement this this new thing that that we're looking mm. at so that's something um that we come across a lot that we've we found over the years um to ensure that it's part of that conversation uh, between designer and developer Definitely, I'd, I'd second that. Having some kind of design system or pattern library, whatever you want mm. to call it, Paul. Um, <laughs> being able to, to reuse anything that's existing, it's going to help save time and reduce the lines of code that are necessary. So reduce the bloat of the code and make the site a bit more performant. Mm. That can be quite a tough one um, for some designers of mine. I, I've been working with a designer recently who... Um, when he designs it's very instinctual you know it's it's not not very systematized so i've had to physically pin him down next to a developer so that the two sit side by side um so that you know you don't end up with different padding 
you know, between similar elements or you don't end up with slightly different shades of blue, you know, um, and all of that kind of stuff. So and that's what one of the ways I think a developer can really help. Um, so certainly front end developer can really help in the design processes is by bringing that level of consistency and, and attention to detail that some, not all, but some designers, you know, struggle with. But I always think about, Marcus, I always think about Ed and Dan's working relationship in terms of a good working relationship between the designer and developer because they're they're always kind of batting backwards and forwards between one another, which I think is really healthy. Yeah, I mean, Lee and Dan are even more uh, a better example because obviously Lee doesn't do very much in the way of front-end development. Um, Mm. And it's it's just this the, the key here is finding the balance between allowing the designer freedom to design um without feeling like they're kind of like you know well, i've got this constraint and this constraint uh, mm. um w- while ensuring that you're not creating something brand new with every new feature or page design or whatever you're doing so mm. it's, it's getting that balance right um is, is key and sometimes so, sometimes it uh, there'll be arguments and other times it'll be fine <laughs> talking of balances mine i mean one thing that I'm always a bit struggle with when it when I come to working with developers is that on one hand I mean you said it yourself um Aslan you said um yeah ideally I would be involved in the project earlier and I you know and and discussing user interface and when features are created but then there's a balance with that about how much time you should actually do you want to spend in those meetings and having those discussions compared to you know actually being able to get on with the work does that make sense i mean do you have a preference with that i mean how much do you actually need to be in the room yeah it's it's a difficult one and i it's one that comes up quite regularly um, in discussions so with with developers generally tend to find that you're at the end of the chain and Mm -hmm. you're the last line before the product gets delivered whether that's a feature or or, or whether it's the full product, and then it's going through uh, UAT, and so there's a lot of pressure on the developers to be able to deliver on time. So the developers really do like to be focused on uh, on just coding. So minimising the amount of time spent in meetings is important to uh, to us as as devs. But at the same time, you do need to have some knowledge of what's going on and have some input into things earlier in the process. So a balance does have to be struck. And sometimes that that could be that a member of the team can sit in on those early meetings, help make the... um, the decisions with a technical view being put forward at that point and that doesn't necessarily need to be the developer who is doing the coding at mm. at the end stage it could be the tech lead who is uh, sitting in on those meetings at the early point but it's some mm. somebody who has some technical knowledge yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? A lot of decisions seem to be made without actually having someone with any technical knowledge in the room. I also think sometimes it's about the way that those meetings are organised. So the trouble is, is that a developer 
can get dragged into you know a two-hour meeting where probably he needs to be in there for 10 minutes you know there's a small part of it which is relevant to him uh, or her and and then the rest of the meeting really they could just dip out of and and get on with work so i think that that helps as well but i do agree with you i think having someone um, with technical knowledge in at the beginning of the process when things are kicked off so you've got context for the for the mm. rest of the project and even ideally the developer that's actually going to work on it i think is really useful yeah. but this is also where daily stand-ups i think work quite well because that means that every day the whole team is just saying what they're currently working on and 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 that's a good moment for the designer and the developer just to to, oh, I was going to use the phrase touch base, but I've got, yeah, but a chance to make contact with one another and, and ensure that, you know, nothing's going weird or strange from a development point of view. How do you deal with that, Marcus? Because, I mean, you know, you've got developers that you're trying to corral and, and keep busy. But on the other hand, you want to keep them informed, too. The way we the, the ideal way it doesn't always work like this, but uh, we try to ensure that the full team so everyone, back-end developer, front-end developer, designer, project manager, etc., everybody uh, attends the initial kickoff, which usually, if it's a UK client, will be for a day. And uh, quite a lot of that time, particularly for the back-end developer, will be just, you know, they, they won't have a great deal to input. But we found that, as you said, Paul, just getting that context of, the, of why, why, why this project is happening and who the people are involved and what their kind of likes and dislikes are, we found is really valuable further down the line that every, everybody mm. gets to kind of get that initial input. But for, we tend to do um, weekly meetings with clients and we will basically just look at what's on the agenda and we'll say, look, you know, you, it's up to you whether you want to attend this, this weekly call or not because quite often there'll be an hour, maybe even two hours sometimes and, and it is, you know, it, it, it it's a better use of everyone's time if certain people don't attend. But it's it's, mm. it's more a case of, do you want to attend this? And if it's like, well, no, not really, then that's fine. And, and you can always, you you know, if you know that they're working at their desk, you can always mm. drag them in if a specific issue comes up rather Absolutely. than trying to bullshit in the meeting, you know? No, I've never what done a, that, Paul. What, bullshit in a meeting? <laughs> no, I'm sure you haven't. <laughs> what about... What about usability testing, Aslan? Is that something you've ever sat in on? Is it does it hold any value to you? I have uh, sat in on a usability test or a number of usability tests uh, when I was doing a project with with a client, and we were doing design sprints, and we put hmm. a team in for this, and it, within a week we were uh, identifying a problem that they had on their site. Coming to coming up with possible solutions, deciding on something, building a prototype that, to a working point that we could then take into a testing lab on the Friday, and mm. then as a team we would all be sat there uh, watching through the glass. Mm. And from my point of view, that was really enlightening. Oh, good, good. There's there's just so many things that we expect people to do, and we think mm -hmm. is going to be obvious. And uh, we're we're trained in a way of thinking. We we know how we in, we intend something to be used by the way that we we build it. 
for somebody to be sat there and doing something differently to that, it can be really surprising to us. And without actually seeing them doing that, I would never have thought that a general member of the public would even contemplate trying mm. to do things in a different way. Mm. But it happens. So, yeah, it's, it's, it really does throw a new light on things. So it, there is value to it, definitely. Now, just going on a little bit of a tangent, you mentioned there that you'd been involved in a design sprint, which is a week-long exercise where you have a series of different things every day that re- results in a prototype that you then test. How was that experience for you from a development point of view? Because that required you to do a lot more than just code you were coming up with ideas of what the features could be how the product worked did you find that a satisfying experience as a developer did you do you feel you were bringing value to the to the table from that side of things i really enjoyed it it was it was a mm. it was a lot of fun to do it it was really hard work to mm. to go from the identifying the problem through to building something that could be used in the testing lab on the friday meant that on Thursday night I could be working through the night to try and get something yeah. ready. But uh, I wouldn't want to go through through that on a long term uh, in a long term way. It would it would no. just be not sustainable. Yeah. However the experience was was amazing. It was really good to work in such a small tight knit team and be bouncing ideas off of each other and coming up with with things no matter how off the wall the idea may have been there were no bad ideas there was always something that we could come up with that we could take away something from even the most ridiculous Mm. of ideas and also i i i think that's a great opportunity for to break down those kind of perceived roles of who does what you know that that because typically you would you know as a a stakeholder in a digital project you wouldn't necessarily think of a developer as somebody that you want to talk to about creating user experience but there's a a whole load of stuff that you can imagine as being possible while other people in the team might go oh but that's not feasible or that's not doable and you know so i think having having that different perspective is really worthwhile and it's good you know that you, you got to contribute in that rather than it just being a load of you know marketing executives and design people and stuff i think that's healthy yeah there's there's definitely a lot of things that from the development point of view because we stay on top we have to stay on top of what technologies are capable of and what is mm. becoming available to us that we might be able to put forward some ideas that aren't ones that are established ideas because mm. it's something that's new to the table. Mm. That's so I mean, true, though. Sorry, sorry, go on, Marcus. But, uh, <laughs> to cut in there, um, often I like to have uh, developers in meetings to ensure... Because I often think of it in a kind of negative way, sort of like sort of keep me on a leash um, or keep designers on a leash. Sort of like you know, I start saying things and people start rolling their eyes uh, from a development yeah. angle. But it's all it's, there's another side to that. Quite often, I'll think that things are hard and going to take ages. And whereas um, if a developer comes up with an idea that I'm thinking mm, that's going to be hard, but they're coming up with that idea, then I know that it, it's something that's quite feasible that we should be considering. So that's it, mm. it's great to have that input. 
in amongst um, you know people that might be described more as creatives than than developers. So couldn't agree more. That's the reason why it's great <laughs> to have people there at the start of um, uh, projects. And I think as well from our point of view, Marcus, as as the kind of geriatrics in the room, you know, that <laughs> I, I meant that from the point of view, you know, we've been doing this for a very long time. I think that in some ways we can be almost a little bit out of date in terms of what's possible and what's feasible. So, for example, I know that there are gaps in my knowledge around certain areas of animation these days of, of what you could do there or, mm. or, or flavors of interactivity or connecting to various APIs that can pull in data. And, you know, so sometimes I think having that knowledge and understanding make, means that developers are able to think of things that wouldn't have even occurred to me um, that, that could potentially improve the experience. Talking of which, I mean, what do you, there's all kinds of areas that I think developers have a huge impact on the user experience that we don't necessarily consider. And as I'm kind of interested in your perspective on that of, you know, what, what, you know, if you've got a load of designers listening to this thinking, yeah, well, it's user experience design, not user experience development. Uh, what would you say to them in terms of how you shape the user experience and the kind of you know effect that you have? Sure. So I really think the user experience is on all of us and yeah. everybody who's involved in delivering the product. We're, we're all... Uh, we need to have an understanding of what we're doing with, with regards to user experience. From the specifically from the dev point of view, having a site that performs well can make a big mm. difference. Mm. And there's there's a lot of tricks that we can use to our advantage for that. So, example might be a critical CSS. So that we can deliver the CSS for what is going to be initially displayed straight mm -hmm. away, and then have the rest load um, asynchronously. Mm. Um, lazy loading of things that are off screen as well. That another way that we can make it appear that the site is loading faster. Mm. And and then something that I've been looking into uh, recently is um, particularly with React is isomorphic uh, JavaScript. So, what on earth is isomorphic JavaScript? That sounds so cool. It sounds very sci-fi. Go on, educate me. <laughs> <laughs> so, with with something like React, it's and JavaScript, you, you're looking at the site being rendered on the client side, and that means that you have API calls uh, going off to get the data from the, from the server, and then it gets rendered on the client side you can initially have a flash of the site loading up, but without all of, the, all of that. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So isomorphic JavaScript means that on the server side, you create a version of the page that already gets that data. You pass that to the client, render ah. that whilst the, uh, the more dynamic client-side version of it is getting delivered to the client wow i love that so you avoid all that kind of flash of of loading that that's so irritating 
And that's a big part of, I think, you know, we talk a lot about performance, um, which is, is right and proper, but performance isn't just page load time. You know, it's not a hard number. It's that perception of performance. Um, you know, so, so things like avoiding those kinds of flashes where things are obviously loading or, or lazy loading images, which feels like it's all loading quicker than it really actually is in the background. But and I, I think that's another really good point is that that oftentimes um, there is a you know a, a designer might want to do all these amazing things with lots of fonts and and uh, and imagery and that kind of stuff, um, which is great because that does enhance the experience. But there is a balance if that's then a trade off that affects performance and that kind of thing as well. And then, of course, there are other areas as well. I mean, you know, stuff like security um, is a is a, a big area you must spend quite a lot oh, i suppose you don't as much do you because that's more server side than client side do you do much in, in with security stuff um i haven't been recently but no. but i have had to play with with a few things um with things like firebase or where whereby you're handing over to and using the google firebase service to do authentication using uh, social media so you can uh, use yeah. google login facebook twitter that kind of thing so that's that's quite a, a fun one that was that i had to play with yeah and again that you know that kind of thing helps their experience because that's one less password to remember because you're logging in with something you've already used form validation is another one that i always think that developers you know have this um huge uh, kind of impact on the user experience in terms of you know how they pass data and you know whether they they they're forgiving over how somebody chooses to format their postcode or telephone number or all those kinds of things and and how errors are worded and there's so many area areas that developers impact the user experience and it so often is underestimated in my opinion but that's a little rant on my part. <laughs> So, I mean, the the one last question I wanted to ask you um, about Aslan is you've been doing this for a long time now, um, uh, as we established from our South by talk. So over those years, obviously, you pick up a lot, don't you? You pick up a lot about user interface design, about what your, your designer colleagues are doing. Are there certain things that you've thought developers need to understand about user experience design you know little nuggets that you've picked up along the road that you think yeah that's a that's a good one to remember i think understanding what the pain points are going to be for a user mm. looking at what you're doing and thinking is this going to be a pain point for a user so if classic example might be asking somebody to choose a password and yeah. It, you know, we've been through this so many times where you get so frustrated when you submit the, the form and it says, nope, you can't have that password. It's not strong enough. Okay, why is it not strong enough? Yeah. And so, one, you've submitted it and then have to wait for the response to tell you no. Mm -hmm. And then it doesn't tell you what's wrong with it. Mm. So you're just repeatedly trying. And then eventually, if it was me, I tend to give up and go somewhere else. Mm. So just thinking about what might be a pain point for, for the user as you're going through things. And I'm guessing that's where the usability testing was really useful for you because, you you know, it's very easy as a developer to think 
everybody knows how to do this kind of stuff you know use the web and you know even little things like uh, you know i'm shocked at how few people tab between uh form fields because they don't know that you can tab between them and so they're like painfully clicking from one field to the next so until you see that kind of stuff in usability testing it doesn't really sink in does it yeah definitely so um i think the kind of the the thing that I would really encourage, there's a kind of a few lessons that I would encourage people to take away from uh, from this is if you're a developer, get yourself in on usability testing, sit in the room, find time to do that, because that is so, so worthwhile. And uh, and for people that aren't developers to not underestimate the role that, that a developer plays in the in the creation of a user experience and, and make sure they're involved in those key moments where that, that user experience is being decided upon, whether it be, you know, in something like a, a kickoff meeting where you're setting the aims and objectives for the project, and, and uh, but also when you're looking at wireframing, that's a great time, I think, to uh, to involve developers as well. So, yeah, it's such a... It's such an underestimated area, the, the, the kind of impact that um, developers have. Okay, shall we talk about Full Story, our second sponsor, before we wrap this baby up in a reasonable length of time, Marcus, for once, as I managed to get control of you at the beginning. <laughs> See, this is efficiency. I, I might have a 10-minute joke to tell at yeah. the end of this show. That wouldn't surprise me. I wouldn't put it beyond you. Anyway, let's talk about Full Story first. So, Full Story have been supporting the whole season. Um, and if you're trying to convince your uh, colleagues that they, uh, or clients that you want to make improvements to your site, in my experience, those people fall into one of two categories, right? When you're trying to convince somebody of something, right, whether it be to change the way passwords are dealt with, like Aslan was just saying, or whether it be any other element, you're going to have to convince other people and they are going to respond in one of two ways. They're either going to want hard data to back up their decision, you know, your your argument, you know, oh, we need to implement a new password procedure. Okay, why? You know, where's the data to back that up? And then there are other people that, that respond much more empath- empathetically, you know, that you need to be able to show them that um, that users are get struggling with this. It's frustrating them. It's making them angry. And that's that kind of two fundamental types of people is why something like Full Story is such a great tool for winning people over. Because Full Story allows um, you to show videos of um, uh, users struggling with experiences, getting frustrated, which obviously is great for when you're trying to reach those people that are more empathetic. And, you know, I talk about creating X-rated videos um, of of uh, user sessions, where which consists of all the sweary, angry bits, you know, where, where they're using inappropriate language about how frustrating the product is. And that's a very powerful tool for people that are more empathetic, empathetic in their um, in how they approach decision making. But it also full story provides a num- um, the hard numbers that you require to prove statistically significant results to those people that, that think in that way. So in, in some ways, a tool like um, full story is that real sweet spot between kind of 
the 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 numbers of analytics and the the um, empathy of usability testing now i'm not saying it replaces those it absolutely doesn't but it does reinforce them both and so that's certainly why it's something i think you ought to check out and consider adding to the mix so you can sign up today you could get a a free month of their pro trial uh, by going to fullstory.com forward slash boag um but it but and you don't need to enter any credit card information or anything like that um, to give it a go. You can just um, sign up and have a play. If you get to the end of the month and you're still you're not convinced or um, you might only just want to use it a little bit on certain key pages or that kind of stuff, then you can get a thousand sessions per month absolutely free and use it for as long as you want, which is kind of cool. Right. So that is full story. I wanted to share a little bit before we wrap up of some potential um, uh, further information, right? If you're, I really believe, I'm going to get my soapbox here. I really believe that um, the term user experience designer, as Aslan said earlier, um, is a user experience is something that we should all be doing and it shouldn't just be seen as a designer's job it is as much a developer's job it is as much a a project manager's job and man you know anybody's um that is involved in that user experience will impact that now not that's not to undermine the role of a user experience designer but i certainly would love to see more people starting to call themselves user experience developers um, and become advocates for the user experience and start approaching development work from a much more user-centric point of view. And this is actually something I've written about. Um, if you go to boag.world forward slash UX dev, um, you'll find an article where I kind of lay out that kind of developer mindset towards user experience and how important it is. Um, another post that I wanted to point you at is um, is this issue of performance, which, again, Aslan's been talking about a lot um, today uh, because that's one of the biggest ways that a developer impacts the user experience. And I've written about that before um, at boag.world forward slash speed, where I talk about why, uh, in some ways, I would argue that performance is the best way of improving the user experience, which is a bit of a bold statement, but I think has got a, certainly an element of truth to it. And then the f- that, Paul? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Um, one of our developers, Chris Henderson, uh, wrote an article, which is on the Headscape site, I will give you the link, uh, called Sorry, Your Site Is Not Responsive. Uh, right. Well, he's, he's basically making the point it's a responsive site, but it's not responsive. It's so kind of weighty and slow that you yeah. can't claim that it's responsive. So yeah, I see. Underlining the, the point uh, that performance is massively important in the user experience. So I'll share that one too. Cool. All right. Well, um, yeah. And obviously all of that's going to be in the show notes that you can find at boagworld.com uh, forward slash show and then select uh, season 20, episode 10, and we'll include those links in there. And the final one that I wanted to mention was I came across a really good article that I really enjoyed about how designers should work with developers and how the two should work together. Um, if you fancy reading that, you can go to that at boag.world forward slash design dev, all one word, all lowercase. Right, I think that about wraps up this this week's show. Now, Aslan has, on many occasions, submitted jokes that we have used on this show. Aslan, do you happen to have one handy that can show Marcus how it's done or or not? No, I I bow down to Marcus today. Oh, for crying out loud. (laughs) Right then, my ten-minute joke. (laughs) (laughs) Not really. Don't you Um, ruin it. No, no, I won't. This is just a short one, as usual. This is from Paul Edwards from uh, the Bagwell Slack channel. So, police arrested two kids yesterday. 
One was drinking battery acid, the other was eating fireworks. They charged one and let the other one off. Oh dear, oh. that is so terrible. <laughs> wow, that's a new low. That's a new Actually, low, we is need it? To get... yeah. 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 You need to be yeah. submitting more jokes, mate. We need more the quality jokes, to please. go up. More jokes. Talking of which, talking of the Slack channel, um, Mm. do you need to join it, people? If you're not already in it, you should check it out at boagworld.com forward slash slacking. Aslan's there. What else do you need to know? You get to hang out with royalty, I'm going to argue, (laughs) and and also also lords now with Marcus there. Yes. It's the cool kids place to be, isn't it, Aslan? (laughs) That implies... Isn't it the cool kids place, Aslan? Are you suggesting Marcus is cool? Oh, no, you've got a good point. Damn, you caught me in my own web of lies. (laughs) (laughs) But he does have those twinkling eyes, doesn't he? He does, yes. Yes. Wow, you remembered the twinkling eyes. That's ten years ago as well. Blimey. Oh, it's not. Ten years you were on Nevermind the Buzzcocks. Correct, 2008. That is unbelievable. So very nearly 10 years to the day. Wow. How old do you feel now? Oh, (laughs) I must be pretty close to death by now. I felt felt old back then. (laughs) My word. So, um, before we get into um, me diving into death and and, uh, my age, Aslan, where can people find out more about you? I'm Aslan on Twitter. A Z L A N, and um, where, where I'm working is Kalo, which is K A L O H Q dot com. Cool, good, and um, and obviously in the Slack channel as well, which he frequents frequents regularly ish. <laughs> Indeed, when you, although you've been a bit quiet recently because you just started a new job, you're still in that working hard and making a good impression stage, aren't you? I am. okay so next week is the last um episode in this season because obviously 11 is a good common number to do a season why on earth i decided on 11 is beside me but anyway um and it is we're going to be looking at how to design a user interface in an agile world and we're going to be joined by paul stanton another blast from the past cool um Paul, Paul and Ryan, um, Ryan Taylor actually used to host the show when we wanted to go on holiday, didn't they, back in the day? They did. That you, it was the northern version, wasn't it? It was. Weeks. We didn't like them to do it for too long because actually they were better than us and we couldn't yeah. be having that. So there we go. All right, so Paul will be joining us next week. But for now, thank you very much. And Aslan, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. Oh,